the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Afternoon, Bay Area. Happy day after Thanksgiving Day. Uh, guess what's called Black Friday in the stores? I don't know how many people are actually shopping live this year as opposed to shopping online. Uh, I haven't really looked at the stores. I, I generally don't go out on Black Friday because um, I don't like uh, big crowds, but this might be the year to actually go because I don't think there's very large crowds. So welcome to the show today. Um, I just want to let you all know that my plan for next Friday's show is to devote the entire show to a fairly deep dive on Proposition 19, which was passed by the voters, that seriously affects homeowners and owners of rental and uh, other commercial prop and commercial properties here in uh, in California. I'm starting to get calls from clients and from people who are not my clients asking questions. Even the questions and comments that I use on my show have at least two questions that I've seen so far that has to do with Proposition 19. It's a major change in the law. It has thrown out. Uh, two established parts of the law, which were Propositions 58 and Proposition 193, dealing with transfers to children and transfer to grandchildren. I'm not going to get into it today, but I just wanted to give you all a heads up that um, after I've had a chance to thoroughly read through the proposition and attend several different sessions with estate planning colleagues from around the state to find out just what the heck's going on, I hope to come back with the show next Friday that um, I will have recorded and will probably rebroadcast every couple months or so going forward because this is a change in the law that is going to impact a lot of people, people who are homeowners, <clears throat> excuse me, and people who own rental property and people who own commercial property, including commercial property that's used in their business, such as a motel or a research and development building, or a shop of some kind. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm kind of dry today. So next Friday, tune in. The show should be about Proposition 19 and um, the two major parts of Proposition 19. Uh, one dealing with people over the age of 55 being able to 
move their home to another part of the state and keep their current property tax base. And then what I think may be the more serious issue, which is what happens when property, when a residence and rental and other property are passed on to children or grandchildren and the major change in the law that took place there. But barring that, uh, I will be taking calls on the air today if you'd like to call in. And the number is 800-516-1220, 800-516-1220. You can also email me questions you may have to radio at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. I will not be taking any calls today that deal with Proposition 19 because I don't feel that I am well-versed enough in the effects of Prop 19 and how it's going to impact us after February 15th, which is the effective date when the law takes effect. We still have uh, about two and a half months until that that date comes by, so there is time to look into this, and there's time to do an analysis, and I hope to present that next Friday's show. So following my usual format, I'm going to take questions and comments from around the state of California. Uh, What I do is I pose uh, questions that come to me through various sources, and then I speak to those questions, I summarize what the issues are, and then try to answer the questions, and hopefully in doing this, um, better educate those of you out there who may be facing similar situations, and also hopefully clear up some misconceptions about how trusts work and wills work, what is probate, what is not probate, What's the difference between an executor and a trustee? They are different. Um, You don't have an executor of a trust, for example, and you don't have a trustee of a will. It's the exact opposite. The executor is for a will. The trustee is for a trust. So here we go. Uh, Let's start with the first question out of Fresno. And uh, this says, my husband and I own our home which was bought during our marriage. Could I write a will stating that my half goes to my son? That's if I die before my husband. He's not my son's biological father. So we have a mother and then a stepfather situation. And really the answer to the question, the first thing I would ask is, how do you have title to the house? If title to the house is in joint tenancy, then in order to... uh, To affect a change like this, the joint tenancy would have to be severed, which means it would have to be canceled. Um, That means the person would have to do a transfer of their their own interest to themselves as uh, an individual, 50% as an individual. That is kind of complicated. I wouldn't suggest doing that without help of an attorney. If the property is titled as community property, then a will could be made saying, I leave my half of the house, which is community property, to my son because you're able to leave your half of community property to someone other than a spouse. If the property is titled as community property with right of survivorship, then it becomes more complicated because that's similar to a joint tenancy. But yes, it would be possible. This person also said, would a notary public signing my will be legally binding? Well, first of all, we don't sign wills as notaries here in California. You have witnesses that sign, not notaries. 
Um, there are a couple of states where you have a will actually notarized. California is not one of those states. So um, now closely related, let's see here. Oh, okay, we'll set that to one side there. How valid is a holographic will in California if combined with a video of the creator of the will reading the will out loud? Um, well, here the person said they created a holographic will using all the guidelines for California. And that's basically that the entire will is in your handwriting. Typically, it should be dated and signed. Um, and that makes it a holographic will. Holographic meaning all in or handwritten will. Making a video of yourself reading the will, yeah, that would probably provide proof that it was actually your will. If there's a if there's you reciting your will and then you're holding your will up, and then the will's in front of somebody, uh, that would hold up quite well in probate court, as long as the video of you reading the will doesn't have you come across as being mentally incompetent in some way. Uh, there can be dangers in videotaping anything like the signing of a will or a trust um, that's typically done when there's concerns about whether or not the person actually signing has the legal mental capacity to actually do that. And, um, and that's where we can get into real situations where uh, where you have uh, where you have people <laughs> um, people doing that, thinking it will actually make it better, but it can actually make it worse because some people don't present very well when they're videotaped. They actually can appear to be um, not competent or of some kind of diminished capacity when they do that. So, videotaping something is always problematic. I generally don't recommend it. Because it's um, because if things go wrong, you can't really destroy the videotape. You are now destroying a record of what went on. So we're ending the first segment of the show today. I'll be coming back shortly after the break. This is Attorney Bob Bergman, and we'll see you on the other side of the break. Now back to Plan Your Estate Radio with Attorney Bob Bergman. Welcome back to the second segment of our show today. I'm going to move on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Um, but let's jump in here now with a question out of Granada Hills, California. person says, I have a pending personal injury, personal injury lawsuit against me. I want to hire an attorney to take recommended steps to protect my home equity and other assets now. Well, I have some bad news. If you have a claim pending against you for money, like a personal injury lawsuit, or if you owe somebody money and they have a judgment or things like that, trying to do things to protect your assets now can be treated by the court as an attempt to avoid creditors and many actions that you take would actually be set aside by a court um, because you were trying to avoid paying for the liability that you have for injuries that you cause to somebody or the money that you owe to somebody. So the time to do any kind of planning to protect assets 
is before you have a pending lawsuit against you. Um, now, that being said, if, you, if, if some planning can be done where you transfer assets away, and as long as you don't transfer too many assets away, uh, such that you make yourself essentially judgment-proof, meaning that you don't actually have anything left for someone to collect against, well, there's still some limited uh, gifting that could be made or things like that. But in general, if someone comes to me and says, hey, I need to set up a trust to protect my rental properties or my business or whatever because I have this big lawsuit that's about to be filed against me, I tell them, well, it's kind of too late to do that. Um, unfortunately, pretty much too late. Now, kind of as a corollary, someone asked here, does a trust account protect your assets and primary property against lawsuits? Well, I think what the person's asking is, if I set up a living trust and put my my uh, property in there, my real estate, my bank accounts, is it protected against lawsuits? The answer to that is absolutely no. Um, because if you set up a revocable living trust, it's just a different way of owning property um, from the way that you owned it before. But the actual ownership of the property for purposes of creditors has not changed one bit. So setting up a trust and putting your property into it's not going to protect it at all from creditors. There are certain types of trusts that can be set up to protect assets from creditors. Those are irrevocable trusts. But most of those irrevocable trusts mean that you actually have to give up the ownership of the property in order to transfer it in there. And that may not be something you particularly want to do. So that is the uh, kind of the short answer about whether living trusts are able to, uh, to actually protect your assets from creditors' claims. Okay, let's see. Okay, uh, let's see. I'm not even really sure what the person's asking there. Okay, can the trustees on a trust for a mother that's in assisted living with dementia, are they able to sell mom's home to provide for her care? And can it be sold even while she's still alive in her current mental state and under revocable living trust? They say there's no language in the trust or power of attorney that addresses conflicts as to who makes the final decision. There's three siblings who are trustees on the trust. Uh, says they're assuming it has to be unanimous. Well, that would likely be the case unless the trust provides that any one of them can decide or a majority of them decide. But generally, it would have to be unanimous. And the answer is yes, it, the trustees of a trust can sell the home to provide for mom's care. But the question becomes, um, does mom otherwise qualify for long-term care? Um, if the property's in a trust, that would mean that that the mother could qualify for Medi-Cal for nursing home care uh, if that's where she eventually ends up. And um, they would not need to sell the property for that. Uh, they could take whatever she's getting from Social Security or any pension 
pay that to the nursing home, and then the state would pick up the difference in the cost between what was paid to the nursing home and what they considered to be the the normal cost of a nursing home in the county where the person lived. But generally speaking, yes, if you're the trustee of a trust, you have the power to sell or rent property owned by the trust, especially when you've taken over because the person who created the trust is no longer mentally competent and now needs someone to care for them and care for uh, their trust property. So that kind of, uh, I think that kind of answers that question. Okay. So here is, uh, says, uh, my mother passed 14 years before my stepfather and none of her assets were distributed. The person administering my stepfather's estate was able to pay taxes on my mother's estate, which I'm assuming he, which I'm assuming is that he received all her money. He also got my mother's life insurance and remaining company stock. The administrator is not related in any way to my mother's four children. He's not even blood related to my stepfather. How was he able to walk away with everything? My stepfather had no children, and my mother has four children. Well, it's not really clear what's being said here. If they're saying, if they're saying that um, that it looks like everything went from the mother to the stepfather, and, um, based on what what is uh, written here, and then the stepfather died. And apparently the stepfather set up his estate for everything to go to this unrelated person rather than going back to the uh, to his wife's children. Um, without more information, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what they're talking about there. Okay, well, we're, we're coming up soon here on the end of the second segment of the show. I want to let you know that you can call in and ask a question of me today as long as it's not about Proposition 19, which we're going to cover. Uh, Hopefully, I'll be ready to cover next Friday. So tune in for the show then to find out about Proposition 19. I I have another half hour of the show today. I'm going to cover more questions and comments from around the state of California. But I just want to urge all of you during this holiday season to look out for each other, look out for family and friends. If you have a neighbor, uh, an older neighbor that seems to be alone, see if there's something you can do for them. Of course, wear a mask and be socially distant, but see if there's some way you can help out. This is a very tough time in, uh, in the history of our country and in the history of our state. And uh, I just want you all to take care of yourselves. I'll be back to you after the break. This is Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. So I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Um, as I indicated at the beginning, I will take calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220 if you'd like to call in and ask a question on the show today. 
Now going forward, let's see here. Um, question, can a sibling settle a parent's estate and or sell property without notifying other siblings? Now to settle estate, generally that means that uh, someone has died and now the person in charge of handling their property is doing things like paying bills, paying debts, and then uh, acting to distribute the property to the ultimate heirs identified in the estate plan, whether it's a will or a trust. So here it says, death occurred in 2018. There are two siblings, brother and sister. Around 2002 to 2003, the um, mother, now deceased, made a new will, trust, and power of attorney package. Then mother had a debilitating stroke and could not speak. The sister has an older power of attorney from the 1970s to take control. The new power of attorney signed by the mother, now incapacitated, doesn't name anyone as her agent, and the name is blank. Does the old power of attorney hold any relevancy or power over the new power of attorney? Wow, this is actually um, almost the kind of thing you might see on a bar exam, uh, an exam for attorneys to see what are the issues. Um, first issue is the, um, the new power of attorney doesn't name anybody. So uh, on the surface, it would appear that because it doesn't name anybody, then the prior power of attorney is still in effect because there's a prior power of attorney that names somebody. The new one was signed and doesn't name anybody, so therefore it didn't, it didn't get rid of the old one, right? Well, chances are very, very good that the new power of attorney in its language states that I revoke all prior powers of attorney. In other words, it says if I had a power of attorney before, I'm going to tear it up right now. It's not in effect anymore. And uh, and now here's my new power of attorney. But the new power of attorney does not name anybody to take over as the agent under the power of attorney. So that raises, uh, raises the question, is there a power of attorney at all? And I think probably the answer from a strictly legal standpoint is, the new power of attorney canceled the old power of attorney, and the old power of attorney doesn't exist anymore. So there's a hole now in the estate plan. Now, I've been informed that I have a caller. Is that correct? Bill from San Rafael. Bill, are you there? I am, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. So uh, you need to talk to a lawyer today. What can I answer for you? Hopefully I can answer for you. Yeah, um, my wife and I own a vacation property uh, in conjunction with another couple that we bought about five years ago. Um, we initially held the property in joint tenants. Um, I did a living trust. My wife and I did a living trust last year. So our portion of the property is held in our living trust. Um, the couple that we're in the uh, partnership with wants to relinquish their ownership and I want to know if there's a way that we can do it without have, being subject to uh, increase in basis of the property. 
Do you mean without without having the property taxes be reassessed? Is right. That what you mean? Because the increase in basis is an, is income taxes, <clears throat> and you'd actually oh. want an increase in basis. Right. Um, property so without tax. having right. without having their half, um, I'm going to to go out on a limb here and say that if um, if you all four acquired the property originally as joint tenants, is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. And was it all four of you as joint tenants, or the pairs of you as joint tenants with each other, or do you know the pair? <laughs> I, um, I think it was the pairs of us at joint, as joint tenants with each other. Well, I don't have the, I don't have the handbook in front of me from the assessor uh, from the Board of Equalization, which talks about when they can assess and reassess. But um, in the back of my mind, I know that there is an exception from reassessment um, when property is returned back to the person who originally owned it before the joint tenancy was created. So, for example, if the two of you, if you and your wife own the property and added them as joint tenants, um, then and then they gave it back to you, there would be no reassessment. But I don't believe there's any way to avoid a reassessment now if they were to transfer their half to you and your wife, whether it's by a grant deed to both of you or a quit claim deed giving up their interest i think you're going to find that their half would be subject to being reassessed because there's no other exception unless i mean are we talking about a couple who are your uh children like son and daughter-in-law or daughter and son-in-law no just some friends just some friends yeah, friends don't have any. There's no friends exception for for reassessment. I think you're going to find that the they are going to reassess fifty percent of the property when it's transferred to you. Your half stays the same, but I think the other half's going to get reassessed. Great. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that info. Sure. Okay. Thank you for calling. Okay. Um, was that clear as mud to everybody out there? <laughs> it's uh, um, property taxes and reassessments are one of those areas that um, very little is generally known about those outside of the real estate uh, community and the estate planning community. In as far as attorneys go, the the rules don't always make sense logically. And it's sometimes possible to take advantage of the rules to avoid a bad result by taking a longer way around to get to the result that you want. And, of course, as I mentioned at the top of the show with Proposition 19, uh, a lot of the rules dealing with parents and children and parent and grandparents and grandchildren have been uh, completely upset by this new law set to take effect in the middle of February. Um so this is one of those things where him calling was a good thing to do because you don't just try to do things like that without going and sitting down and having an analysis done by legal counsel um, and typically either real estate attorneys or estate planning attorneys that deal with the transfers of real property that know what the transfer 
rules are and the reassessment rules are for the property tax. I've seen a number of people that have done self-help on this and they just make a transfer and then they find out later that the transfer uh, triggered a reassessment and there may have been a way that they could do it that would not trigger a reassessment, but they were not aware of that because they didn't actually seek assistance in the first place. So they suffer the consequence of having the property taxes go up. And if the property's been owned a long, long time, we're talking about property taxes potentially going up a tremendous amount. Um, and that is one of the things I'll be talking about this coming Friday when we talk about Proposition 19. Okay, moving on, we've got, uh, what do we got here? Is there a statute of limitations pursuing an executor after probate has been closed? Okay, it says, my sister died in August of 2009, and I was the executor of her state. That means the sister had a will. I was to divide her assets evenly between her three daughters and myself. Distributions were made. Uh, we also received money from her IRA, stocks that she had, uh, and then everything was divided equally between um, the four heirs. Ten years later, my oldest niece decided I had embezzled $100,000 from the estate and has taken me to court to account for the money. I have a lot of the proof, but started shredding a box of papers, which included the probate papers. My shredder broke while I was shredding things, so I do have some of the proof as to the creditors being paid, but I have no proof of the second $100,000 that I dispersed. Okay, I would say right there, if you're going to be the executor and you're distributing money out to the heirs, you want to get receipts back from them that are then filed with the court so that you show that you've actually distributed everything out. Um... The real, so here there basically is a statute of limitations um, when an estate is closed. The question becomes, did the executor actually close out the estate by filing receipts for all the disbursements and then filing a, a brief petition, what's called an ex parte, without a notice, without a notice hearing, just a petition to close out the estate and be discharged as the executor. Um, if that wasn't done, then I guess technically the estate's still open and uh, she could be sued. Um, it's likely, though, 10 years later, the court is not going to entertain a lawsuit about something claimed to have, that happened 10 years ago. So we're coming up on the uh, final break for the show today. When I come back, we'll close out the show with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Uh, this is attorney Bob Bergman, and we'll talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back. You've been listening to The Dulcet Towns of American Millennium by my friend John Taylor. Uh, John Taylor is a singer-composer, songwriter, um, who I, I did shows with many years ago with the Children's Musical Theater here in San Jose, and he very graciously 
uh, allows me to use his music, American Millennium, from his uh, album called Moon Glow, and uh, as my theme music. I love listening to it. And John, uh, just a shout out to you, John, uh, up there in Oregon. I hope you and your family are doing well. I uh, haven't seen you for many years now, and I'd uh, like to be able to see you again and, and at least talk with you. So, probably not listening, but there's still a shout out to my, my old friend John Taylor uh, from the Children's Musical Theater days. This is back in the 1970s, uh, back when I was a performer with the Children's Theater. So, we got a few more questions and comments before the end of the show today. And uh, one I'm going to address right now, um, which might be relevant to people out there right now, because this talks about the current law dealing with parent-to-child transfers that will be changing February 15th. But this is the law that's in effect right now. These people are asking, said, uh, our parents have three houses one primary, two investment properties, and three children. Can each child claim a Prop 58 exemption if they're each given one house? Um, under the current law, um, a parent can transfer to a child or children uh, a personal residence of any value and keep the assessed value the same. So if the parents own the house for 30 years and and the house value, the market value, is five or six times what the assessed value is, the assessed value can stay at that assessed value level if it's transferred right now uh, to um, a child or children. For rental properties, in this case investment properties, a parent can transfer up to a million dollars of assessed value of rental property right now to a child or children, and the child or children can keep the assessed value at the same level that the parents had. With two parents, each parent can transfer a million dollars worth of assessed value. So that means between them, they could transfer up to $2 million of assessed value of real estate to their children with two houses here. That would be going to one one house going actually to uh, to one child and then the other two rental properties going to the other two children. It's not likely that the rental properties have an assessed value that is greater than a million dollars. I'm guessing it's probably quite a bit lower. So all three of these properties right now could be transferred to the children, just given to the children right now, and they could keep the low property tax base. And uh, maybe they could even make arrangements for mom and dad to uh, to uh, live in in one of the houses at uh, at no charge. Uh, parents could give the properties away, and um, there you go. Now I'm not recommending to do that. This is not legal advice. I'm just stating what actually would be possible under the current law. That would not be possible after February 15th. And we're going to get into that um, on next Friday's show when I talk about Proposition 19 and uh, the major effects and impact it's going to have on people who own real estate here in California. 
uh, people own real estate um, themselves or own real estate and also have children uh, and eligible grandchildren uh, to transfer that property to. Okay. Um, okay, well, I'm going to skip that one. Being kind of difficult to sort out. Okay, so here a married woman in California has named her nephew as the beneficiary of her half of the estate, including the home she owns with her spouse. What happens when she dies if her nephew has no intention of living in the home and the surviving spouse would like to stay there? Must the house be sold? If not, how are bills managed? Is a beneficiary responsible for any debt incurred by a surviving spouse? Well, if you leave the property to your nephew, that nephew becomes the half-owner with the surviving husband, assuming that the husband is the survivor. That means they are effectively now partners owning that property. If the husband wants to stay in that property, he has the right to be there because he's an owner of the property. He doesn't have to pay rent or anything like that. Um, but if the nephew wants to be cashed out, the husband's going to have to do one of two things. Either go and refinance the house and get the money to buy out that nephew, um, which will then trigger actually a reassessment of half of the value of the house, um, which might not be a big thing because the uh, wife dying would have had her uh, her value go up. Um, but the other thing is um, maybe the nephew could go to court and force the house to be sold to get his half. That's called a partition action and would be appropriate if the husband doesn't want to cooperate. Well, we're almost done with the show today. We've got just a brief amount of time. Thank you for being with me today. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Remember, next Friday, I hope to talk about Proposition 19. Until next week, goodbye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Berkman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.